Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington. And today, it's going to be kind of a random catch-up episode, just solo. I have a couple talking points to go over. And some of these talking points are just me telling stories about what's been going on around here. So number one, right now, it's the afternoon time frame. I'm enjoying a beer. This is an American Pale Ale from a brewery called Funkworks, and they're out of the Fort Collins area. They do a lot of saisons and a lot of sour beers as well, but they do a ton of other stuff too, including lagers, a bunch of English beers, American beers. They run like the, the gamut. It is all over the place. And their saisons and Belgian beers are excellent. Their saison is one of my favorites, but this happens to be an American pale ale. And when we uh, get the commercial kegs, we usually you know finish up the keg and we take it back to the same place to return the keg. And usually we just get another keg from that same place. So for the last, I think, two years, we've had beers from Funkworks. It's always fun to go and grab another keg up there. So today, one thing I'm going to talk about is uh, a silly mistake that I made, and I actually want to ask you for some help. So coming up on a future episode before too long, I will talk about some mistakes that I've made so that hopefully that you won't make them yourself. So if you have questions about mistakes that maybe you've heard me talk about before, I'm usually fairly transparent about the mistakes that I have made in the past. So if you have follow-up questions on those mistakes that you know that I've made, you can send them in. Or if you want to share your own tale of a mistake that you've made so that others may learn from it, shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show. And I'll give you a shout out in the episode when I record it. This could be one of those situations where there's a whole lot of content and there's a whole lot of mistakes to share and that'll be great. I mean, I could do a few episodes on that if there's enough material. Of course, learning from your own mistakes is really valuable. You usually don't forget it. And if you can learn from other people's mistakes, you could really save a lot of time. So here's, um, well, I'll tell you what else I'll talk about. The other thing is about when you're maybe starting your side hustle or maybe you've gone full time and you are starting to grow your business, I have a very good tip. So I didn't make a mistake in this area, but I made a good decision and I'm pretty sure it was because I heard a podcast interview between Derek Sivers and Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss interviewed Derek Sivers, I think in like 2015 or so. It was pretty early in Tim's show and I didn't realize it, but I'm pretty sure I internalized some of the ideas. So I'll, I'll share a good decision that I made about my business and didn't think about it too much along the way, but I'm pretty sure it was in the back of my mind the whole time. And finally, I talked about uh, bullet journaling a few episodes back, I think. And I have a little update on that. So I'll share how that has been going now that we're, you know, in the May time frame, at least the day that I'm recording this, we're in May. So, so I'll give you an update on that. 
And I think probably in the same episode, I record a lot of stuff, so I can't remember exactly what I said (laughs) or when I said it or what show that I said it on. But I am pretty sure in the same episode that I talked about bullet journaling, I think I talked about updating my autoresponder for my email list. So I'll give a little update on that. So first off, a little mistake that I made. So I have a virtual assistant and she she helps me write stuff. I hired her because I thought I was going to have a pretty good amount of uh, writing to do, plus a couple other things, which I checked with her and she was like, sure, I can help you with like podcast producing, YouTube production, and a couple other things. So she got up to speed, I trained her, and funny thing, right? Kind of sucks, but she had an older laptop and she's out of uh, Montenegro, all right? By the way, she's looking for work to do more writing. So if you have any writing gigs, if you want to work with someone who's trained to do this stuff already, I've worked with her for like eight months or so and she does a great job. So anyway, she's in Montenegro. She had a laptop that was it was kind of old, so some of the work was taking a little longer. And I was like, hey, I could buy you a laptop and you know, I could have it shipped to your place or whatever. And her laptop was getting, you know, worse and worse. So eventually I was like, hey, I could actually send you a laptop. I have an older MacBook Pro. It's the one that I used for several years. It's still in good shape, has plenty of memory. Like I've used it in the last year when I've gone on the road or something like that. And I brought the laptop so I can just send it over there. However, I don't know how much it'll cost to, to ship. It's like across the world, you know, it's a little more complicated. And I started to look into, and she actually helped me out and introduced me to someone that she knew that like ship stuff from the U S and basically put me in touch with, um, a shipping company. So I shipped the laptop. I packed it up, shipped it, cost about a hundred bucks. And I was like, cool. It'll take a little while to get there. I'll have to zip through customs. Some of the smarter people out there that have shipped things before, you you know, the mistake that I'm already (laughs) alluding to. So I didn't know how long it was going to take to get to her, but I thought probably like a month or two, maybe not two months, but I was like, ah, maybe a month, you know, it'll take a little while to be shipped and then it takes a little while for customs to go through. So anyway, eventually after about six weeks, she got news that the laptop was already there, went through customs, it was ready for her to pick up. However, I didn't realize that she was going to have to pay like some customs fees I don't know the the right term, but basically she was going to have to pay like 25% tax, essentially a 25% tax on the value of the laptop, which I declared a, a little bit high. I declared it at $500. The laptop, I don't know. I mean, I think you could probably find them on eBay for like 300, something like that. So I overestimated a little bit, but essentially she was going to have to pay like $125 to get the laptop from the post office, which she didn't have, you know, the cash. And I was like, fuck, that's too much. Like, you know, I was like, this is not going to work out. So she was like, 
you know, I, I didn't pick it up, but let me know what you want to do. And I was like, don't do anything. Let's see if they ship it back. So I think like a week later, it showed back up at the house. And uh, lesson learned, uh, there's some, you know, customs or fee taxes um, on top, which I just, I didn't think about. I thought the shipping company would like, let me know, hey, maybe you need to go look this shit up and here's how to calculate it. And I actually like got on the phone with the shipping company and you don't know what you don't know and you don't know what to ask. I guess I could have asked something like, hey, are there any other fees that maybe will show up later? But I thought, oh, everything's included in here. I answered a, you know, whatever, 15 questions and they walked through it with me and all this stuff. But anyway, the VA obviously didn't use the laptop and a simpler solution, right? The simpler solution is usually best. So she said, in the meantime, while she was waiting for the laptop to go through customs and all that stuff, she said she found someone who sells used laptops in her area and she bought one for like 50 bucks. So like half the price of what I paid to ship it and then have the thing, you know, luckily I didn't have to pay more for it to be shipped back, but I basically just like lit a hundred dollars on fire and uh, wasted a bunch of time, you know, even just like packing it up, dropping it off at the post office, a couple other things, probably wasted like two and a half hours on it, but I'll never get back. The worst part is I actually thought about it a lot more. I'm like, oh, I need to send her the laptop. I need to uh, check in to make sure it showed up and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, that was kind of a dumb mistake. And the simplest solution is usually the best. I could have just said, hey, can you buy a laptop locally? The problem was I was thinking I have this laptop that I should get rid of and there's someone that could use it that I know and I could benefit directly by having her use a pretty solid laptop. So anyway, if you need to buy a laptop, a used laptop, let me know. I have one. It's a pretty decent one. Okay, moving on to the next thing here about how I design my business. So I think it's really important, especially when you're just starting to go full-time. So if you're working on stuff as a side hustle, you don't have to think about it as much, but keep it in the back of your mind. And basically, you are able to shape whatever job you want it to be. So if you're working for yourself, you make all the decisions, you don't have to check with a manager, and you can drive the ship. You can work on what you want to work on. And there's a couple things that I knew because I worked in the corporate world. I knew things that I liked to do and I knew things that I didn't like to do. And it's really important that you keep that in mind. Otherwise, it's extremely easy to create a job, even if you're working for yourself, but you might create a job that you hate and that you don't want to do. So I got laid off in 2015 and I made a decent effort at testing out some different business models. I had dabbled in a few areas already, so that was helpful. And when I got laid off, I felt a pretty good amount of pressure to bring in money. So I thought I want to 
set as many, you know, fishing poles out and put hooks out there and see if I can get bites in different areas and what was working. And I kind of ignored the fact that I didn't want to do certain things. I wasn't sure if I wanted to work with clients. And I'll tell you about a few of the business models that had. So one was essentially a link building service. It was a guest posting service. I was doing pretty well with that back in 2015, 2016. And of course, services are usually very profitable, especially if you have low overhead, like if you're doing all the work yourself, like I was at the time, and then you bring in money right away. So with SEO, with a website, you have to build it. It takes some ramp up time. You have to invest capital. You have to do things. When you run a services business or you do some freelance work, it's a service. You get paid right away, right? You get paid usually ahead of doing the work. Not always, but the way I was doing it, I was getting paid before doing the work. And then I would execute, finish, and then hopefully, you know, have some recurring revenue. And that was that was great. I actually was on on pace to uh, make over six figures just on the services business portion of the work that I was doing within the first year, like uh, without a stretch, right? Like that was that was a very profitable business, and that's why. I mean, you listen to the show. I don't you know work with too many uh, advertisers or promote too many services, but if you if you're on other email lists, you see there's a lot of services out there. There's a, there's a ton of agencies. There's a lot of people that can do like just good enough to start an agency and sell their services. Some are very good, you know, not all of them are shitty, but a lot of them are. A lot of them are really bad and it's not easy to do it. You have to work with clients and clients will generally constantly beat you up uh, for price. They'll try to negotiate. They're uh, they're not satisfied with the quality. However fast you get back to them is too slow. Everything's a fire drill and it's just kind of a pain in the ass. I sort of knew that was going to be the case, but I was like, this is a very profitable business and I happen to be good at this thing, guest posting, and I need to pursue it. Very quickly, I realized I didn't want to work with clients. So I shut that down. So I think I, I probably did the link building service for about, I don't know, four or five months, something like that. And then I decided this sucks. I don't want to do it anymore. And the biggest thing is I I thought about what the business would look like in say one to two or three years if it was successful. If I kept growing and getting more clients, if clients signed up for more and more work and services and what that would really look like. And when I mapped it out, I think I journaled about it probably, but it was fairly straightforward. Basically, if there was more work to do, I would have to hire people. I would have to hire several, I guess like associate level people, uh, just doing normal outreach, sending emails, and doing some uh, kind of trivial admin work. Then I would need probably a couple project managers and maybe 
one or two like general managers that could oversee and manage the team. And then I would have direct contact with probably three or four people, you know, the project manager, the team leads, that kind of stuff, because I wouldn't want to, you know, talk to everyone on the team. It would probably end up being, you know, 15, 20, 30 people all together. And because, like I said, in my corporate career, I knew some things that I didn't want to do. One of them was have like a big team. So because I did it in my corporate career, it was fine. I did a decent job. I mean, I did a good job at it. I did a good job at it, but I didn't want to do it anymore. And I think I have worked with, um, you know, some of my peers over the last couple of years and they didn't have the management experience that I had. So, you know, they came from various industries, but for some reason they thought, you know what? I want to have a big team. I want to have managers. I want to, I want to build a team. Like they wanted to like go through the process of building a team. And I already did that before and it was fine. So now I don't really give a shit. And I think it's cool. You know, it was a good experience. And if I had not done it in my corporate job, I maybe would have felt the urge to do it because, you know, I had the opportunity while I was, you know, getting paid a good salary to learn from mentors and all that kind of stuff, grow the team, interview people, hire people, fire people, the whole thing. And if I didn't have the opportunity, I would probably think, wow, I want to give it a shot to see if I like it. So I respect it if you want to give it a shot. But for me, it it just ends up being more of a headache. It stresses me out. I don't have any more hair to lose. There's no more hair. All right. My eyebrows would fall off or something. My eyelashes. And then I'd look like a like a the human equivalent of Mr. Mr. Bigglesworth. Right. So if you don't know what that is, look at I think you'll be horrified. So the point is I I knew that I didn't want to go that route. So once I established that, I also realized I want to have a small team, maybe a couple of assistants. I don't want to hire anyone full-time. I do have, um, I've had a couple of people work for me in the U.S. for enough hours and stuff where I have to file a 1099 for them to you know file their taxes. But generally, I want to have a small team. I do not want to have a big team. I don't want to have a bunch of managers. That just equals a headache for me. If you do hire people full-time, you have to make sure they have work to do and that you could pay them. And that is just stress that I don't want to have. I kind of want the flexibility to take a month off or two months off or take a sabbatical for two years and not have to figure out what to do. So the other thing is there's certain work that you can do that's, you know, active, passive, which is a little bit of a myth, or semi-passive. And generally, I wanted to have work that was more on the passive side or semi-passive side. I didn't want to do very much active work. And, you know, you could do a little more research on this, but generally like active work is like you're trading time for money. There's some pieces of the work that I do where I'm kind of training time for money or more often I'm like giving my time away. Like I do YouTube live streams 
and I don't make any money directly from this typically. Sure, there's an advertiser here and there, but generally I'm showing up, handful of people watch it, and I'm not making like money direct. I'm not charging for it directly. Um, and that's, yeah. Anyway, so the semi-passive stuff works pretty well. And I kind of, you know, my courses, um, some of the advertising and other little pieces are kind of semi-passive. At least I could do a lot of work up front, like develop the course, and then I could market it, which is the, you know, somewhat active. I have to send emails out or work with affiliates or something like that. And the the other piece that comes in, which I guess you could kind of figure out is products, especially products that I create myself are a good use of my time and effort. Those are assets and the services are things that I don't want to do. Again, that's kind of trading time for money. You have to deal with clients. So there's a lot of different flavors, right? I I could have also gone uh, the route of maybe like writing books, right? Actually, I'll, I'll tell you a little story about that in a minute. But, you know, writing books, you can write, do a bunch of uh, work, and then you have an asset, like a product, right? That you can sell again and again. And I kind of like that. It's a good, it's a good business model. Services are a great business model too, just not for me. I know a lot of people that are doing really well. And if you look at, you know, the ability to start a services business, get a handful of clients, put a team in there, and then sell it, it's hugely profitable. It's hugely profitable. You potentially could sell to a competitor out there. And essentially they're, you know, they're buying your clients and your team, sort of, you know, if you're able to send the team off and continue to do the work. So really profitable way to do it. The big takeaway here is especially if you're going full-time, pay attention to the work that you like to do. Think about the lifestyle business that you actually want to have and what stresses you out. Avoid the things that stress you out. And the, the problem comes in, and I'll connect the dots for you specifically. The problem comes in because you're like, I can start an agency, a services business, I can get clients fairly quickly and I can make a lot of money and this is great. However, that also could be the exact recipe to stress you out and make you end up doing you know, work over weekends and really late nights. And that is cool if you're into that. It's not for me. So just pay attention to what you like to do, what actually stresses you out. Um, the workload that you want to have, because when you are working for yourself, you can't blame anyone for the workload that you have. You can't blame anyone for the job that you create for yourself. And I was very conscious of that. I didn't want to create like a shitty job that I didn't want to do. Moving on to the next topic here is bullet journaling. And I'll take just a quick little sip of my beer here. I'll be right back. I've done a really bad job at the bullet journaling. So I'll give you a little update. I I think I dabbled with it for a couple years and, you know, tested it out. I usually do have a notebook around and I go through periods where I will, 
you know, write out my week and kind of plan it a little bit. But I never did the bullet journaling exactly right where I have like a, you know, daily check-in, a weekly check-in, a monthly, and and really go to track everything. Which unfortunately, that's the magic of this is like you get more done because it's top of mind. You're actually checking. You look to see what you planned on doing, what you actually did. You true it up and, you know, you get more done that way. Turns out um, I was really enjoying doing the habit tracking for about six weeks. And I was tracking things like um, drinking alcohol. Ironically, I'm drinking a beer now. Uh, not drinking alcohol is the right way to say it. I was also tracking playing guitar, stretching, and journaling, ironically, as well. And for January and February, I did a pretty good job tracking all this stuff. I, I even There's even like little pictures in here. If people are watching on YouTube, you can see stuff there. But I actually tracked pretty well and you know, didn't drink any alcohol in January and very little in February and I'm back on the wagon here. And, you know, the thing that that has happened in the past is, you know, I I get a little momentum and it's fine. And then I kind of, you know, slowly drift off until I'm like, "Ah, is the bullet journal upstairs or downstairs? And I, I don't even know. And then weeks go by. I don't write anything in there. Habit tracking is off. So for about six weeks, I was doing habit tracking really well, very accurate. And I, I, you know, I marked it up and it was cool. I think part of it was the fact that I was abstaining from alcohol. So that was like kind of exciting to, to do that. I trailed off with a habit tracking in February and March was even worse. I, I mean, I, I basically fell off there. April, I, I didn't write anything in there for the habit tracking. Now, as far as like task management and like weekly project management, I was doing okay. Like I still um, would hop in, you know, write out the week, kind of, you know, map out some of the things that I needed to work on. However, there were some weeks where I didn't write anything. And ironically, like this week, um, I'll tell you about the, the spread that I have here. And it's okay if you don't know much about bullet journaling, but typically, you know, you have, you open it up and you have like, um, I think of it like the centerfold, right? It opens up, there's two pages you could write on and you might have, um, you know, Monday through Friday plus the weekend in here and you write the things that you're going to work on. Maybe it's specific tasks, maybe it's a meeting, maybe you have a dentist appointment, whatever, right? You put it in here So this particular week, um, funny enough, so I started on Tuesday, April 25th, marked a couple things in here. I have like a little section of video ideas. And then I go to Wednesday, April 26th, a couple other things. I I did a lot of those, you know, marking them off, checking them off. I'm moving them to the next day, just like you're supposed to. Then I didn't do Thursday or Friday. So, you know, the weird part here, didn't start on Monday. I started on Tuesday and then I did Tuesday and Wednesday. And then uh, the next thing that I have in here is Wednesday, May 3rd. So I, I, I lost some time there. So I'm not really using it right. I'm just like writing shit in here occasionally. Um, but I mean, I am, when I do fill out a week, I do go back and I look at the things that were on my list. You could kind of think of it as like an ongoing to-do list, which is, a, 
you know, somewhat effective. I'm, I'm better at prioritizing the list, right? To-do list can be a little funny, but I know if it has drifted from day to day to day and week to week to week and I haven't done it, probably doesn't matter. And I could probably drop it off the list or it's something that is not urgent at all and I can get around to it. So um, like I said, I kind of I dropped off a little bit there. And one thing that is actually pretty good that I do like that I need to do is using the monthly view. And I only have to do it once a month. So I should be able to work this out. But you look at the upcoming month and then you see what's going on. So nothing sneaks up on you where you're like, oh, shoot, I need to whatever, change the filter in the furnace or whatever, or something like that. You you have that filter on hand, so you're ready to change it. And the monthly view is kind of cool because you can like map things out and plan a little bit ahead. Turns out, you know, my wife and I, we do a pretty good job, like not squandering away a weekend or anything like that. But if you get a little complacent, you end up potentially like sitting around and not doing anything when you could have planned a little bit ahead and like gone on a little weekend trip or like gone on a hike or something where you kind of have to plan ahead a little bit. So the monthly view is pretty cool. And even the quarterly, because you kind of get a bigger view and you could, you know, zoom out a little bit and not be like deep in the day-to-day task management. And I mean, it turns out like the way that you use a bullet journal is uh, totally up to you. And if I'm happy with the, I don't know, kind of undedicated approach that I'm using, then it's okay. Like if you watch videos about uh, bullet journaling, some people are pretty dogmatic about it and they're like making it very um, artistic and they're doing like, they're making it very complicated, which is cool. That's cool for them. It's not really my style and it would kind of, I mean, I don't do a good job at it and I would feel guilty about like fucking up how to do it. And that's the other thing. I mean, this is a mess. This is a mess. I, I wrote down the ideas for this show in here, but no one's going to see this except me and the time that I just held that up and the thousands of you that have watched this. Um, but other than that, no one sees this. It's, it doesn't have to be pretty. It just needs to like serve the purpose that I want it to, which could just be, you know, a little crutch every now and then. And it's not bad. It's not bad. So uh, my bullet journaling trailed off again. And I have a feeling that a lot of people do that. They get excited. They watch a bunch of videos or they see like uh, some pins over there on Pinterest. Or maybe on Instagram, they watch some uh, reels and they're like, oh man, I'm going to set up a bullet journal this January and then they do it for like two weeks and then they like drop off or they get started, right? They get a nice journal, bunch of fucking pens and then they try to make it beautiful. And if I did that, I can tell you I would I'd mess up here and there and there would be like just mistakes all over the place. I've actually, I saw a YouTuber who... I think he kind of focuses on productivity, but really bullet journaling is um, very specific focus. 
And I think he had, he had mentioned like, you know, that's one of the things like people watch these really um, talented artists really set up their bullet journals and then they, you know, they try to mimic it. They mess up because they're, they're not as good. And I mean, it's kind of a messy process, like setting up a journal, especially if you're like, okay, this is going to be my journal for the next six months or a year. And you're trying to you know, make the lines just perfect and you're trying to set up the grid just right. And then you miss it by one. And then, you know, you feel bad. You failed at the little project for yourself that you're trying to do. So anyway, I use this for uh, whatever I see fit and I get enough shit done. It's fine. It's totally fine. So as we, we wrap up here, I uh, teased a little bit about a, a book. And I, ne- I never had the, the big urge to write a book. I thought about it. I, I, like the, I like the process. I like long processes. I like long-term goals where you could put your head down and work on it for a long time. When I used to run, I liked to you know, set up the training plan for a half marathon. And you know, each individual run or training um like walk or run or whatever it was, training session, it wasn't going to make or break you, but it was consistently showing up, doing most of what you were supposed to do most of the time. That'll get you there. You know, you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to like hit all the marks all the time, but as long as you're consistent, usually you're all right. And I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm good at really long-term stuff. So, you know, a six-month training plan, I didn't train for six months for a half marathon, but like a six-month training plan would be fine and I could stick with it, you know, the whole time. And it kind of, you know, fortunately, that sort of training plan keeps you uh, fairly healthy. And a book is one of those, I haven't written a book. Um and you know what? I take that back. My first um, info product in 2013, sorry, I did write a book. It's about 100 pages and it was about starting a niche site. And the, um, the thing that I have realized, aside from writing that book, right? So I, I wrote it. It was like pretty intense, uh, like probably two months of work. And then I haven't thought about writing a book in a serious way for a very long time. However, I've, I've heard many authors talk about the writing process and from what I gather, it's the consistency, the showing up. You may maybe won't write as much as you hope any given day, but over a you know, long-term period, if you can show up, you'll be able to get that first draft done and then it's a matter of editing. So anyway, I've been talking with my my podcast co-host for Mile High Fi, that's my personal finance podcast, about writing a book. It's somewhat about um, productivity. It's really anti-productivity, which is kind of funny because I definitely went down the route of trying to be really productive for a very long time. And I'm kind of, I'm countering that now. So, we're going to work on it together. We don't have any specific timeline yet. Carl, my uh, 
my podcast co-host, he he's often very busy. So he's wrapping up a few projects before we can really start working on it. But it's something that I'll talk about more. I think it'll be pretty cool. And you know, the funny thing is, as I was um, thinking about it today, Carl, like I said, he's trying to wrap up some projects and he's very busy. And one thing that I proposed to him, I was like, hey, it would be pretty cool if we we like went off on a boys weekend, kind of. I was like, hey man, why don't we rent an Airbnb out in the mountains? We can get away from our normal routine, our households, and write the book. We can go for a few days and only work on that. We can go on some hikes. We could hang out. We'll do like long writing sessions. The cool part with that is you're not in your normal environment where you might get distracted by the normal things around the house, the projects that are going on. You can procrastinate, my favorite way, by cleaning a little bit. Like, you know, you sweep, you vacuum, clean the bathroom. That's productive, right? But it keeps you from doing the work that you need to do. And Carl was like, yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, this is not a novel concept. You know, writers go off to get their work done. I've heard of people that, you know, they rent um, a hotel in the city they live in, and then they, they just stay at the hotel. and They write in their room to get shit done. So not a novel idea, but I was like, hey man, this this could be pretty cool. We can get a lot of work done in a very short time. So anyway, Carl's trying to wrap up some stuff. I'm not sure exactly when we'll be able to work on it. I think it'll be in the summer. I have the town scoped out. I should probably just like book an Airbnb so that we have it locked in. Um, but my thought was, I mean, there's potential for me to write a, a short book on my own leading up to working on this book with Carl. And as I'm talking about it, it, it kind of makes me excited. It makes me think about kind of a warm-up before writing another book because I haven't done any like long-form writing in quite a long time. I've done a lot more maybe like video or podcast planning and production and stuff like that, but that's totally different. And the writing process is completely different. And I think it could be pretty fun. I'm not sure. I have an idea what the book could be on. And in fact, if you have any suggestions, what would you want to read from me? Hopefully there's some readers out there. I I read a ton. I read, um, actually, I'll have to check it out in a second. I'll I'll be right back. I'm going to see how many books I've read this year. Hold on. So I just hopped on Goodreads. It looks like I've read 14 books this year through April. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I I read a lot. A lot of it's fiction. A lot of it is fiction these days. There's probably like, I don't know, four nonfiction books on there. But anyway, I think I think it could be pretty cool to to write something in, in the short term. Anyway, there's some readers out there. I know it. If you have an idea, feedback at Doug.show. Let me know. Like I said, I I have an idea. It'll be cool if it kind of matches up with what a few people send in. So I think that's it for today. I covered a few random things. If you have any show requests, show ideas, please let me know. Quick example, my man Kyle, a few months ago, he said, hey, I would like to hear a deep dive on your courses, Doug. I want to know how you create a course, how you market it, and just how you do that. 
how do you recommend people do it? And I prepared a little bit ahead of time. I had Kyle send over some specific questions that he had that I needed to cover in the material that I went over. And I got a ton of feedback from people about how helpful the episode was, which was great. Thanks everyone for sending that in. And I know it's it's a bit of a pain in the ass to email a podcaster because we're out doing shit, you know? There's there have been times where I'm like, oh, I'm gonna email this guy and then I I forget when I get back. And it's just kind of a pain. So the thing is, I know if I heard from like five or six people, I know there's probably at least that many more that found it helpful that didn't take the time to write back. And that's cool. I mean, we're all busy. You don't have to write back. But that's one thing that I do like about podcasting is you don't get instant feedback like you might get from YouTube, for example. However, when you do get the feedback, you know you made a pretty big impact. So if you have any topic ideas, you can let me know. One thing that I I talked about before was uh, my email autoresponder. And I kind of, I dragged my feet a little bit, but then finally I was uh, chatting with Denise, who I've interviewed on the show a couple of times, but she was in a paid mastermind group that I held and she wanted to work on her autoresponder series. And I'm like, hey, I'm kind of working on that too for my own thing. And I, maybe we could work on it together. So one day I texted her and I was like, hey, I'm going to work on it some today. She got some stuff done as well. So shout out to you, Denise. You kind of, you motivated me a little bit more. We're not all perfect. You know, like I said, I didn't even do the bullet journaling stuff, right? But the point is I have gone back. I looked at some of my emails. Turns out I actually had done some of this work previously. So there were only 12 emails in my autoresponder and I wanted to get it to about 10. So I already had like the cream of the crop, the very good emails. I picked out about, I think about four or five of the 12 that needed to be either updated or eliminated. The cool part, the surprising part is I had, I think probably eight additional ideas. So I'm going to end up with more emails than I had before and that'll be great. I'll have a few more emails. I think I'll have like 14 to 16, I would say. And I'll be able to space those out. So if you are interested in kind of a deep dive on what I put in an autoresponder, how I space it out, let me know about that too. I think, you know, for me personally, it's something that I developed um, some skills in over time. There's a lot of different ways to do it, but I certainly can explain how I do it. So that's it for today. Thanks a lot. And we'll, we'll catch you on the next one. 